Hey, I've got some great news for you. All men are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Not the most cheery passage or passages in the Bible, is it? I've always found those a bit bleak and grim. How is this good news? How is this part of what God is telling us in a good way? Well, I talked today with David Pallison, and he helps us see our frailty in a fresh light, bringing hope and comfort, connecting us to God's compassion in a new way as we looked at Psalm 103. I hope you find this helpful. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Hello, and welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves. I serve on faculty here at CCEF, and I also run our New England office. Today, my conversation is with David Pallison, who is CCEF's executive director, uh, an author of countless articles and books. Uh, Most recently, he published a book called Good and Angry, Redeeming Anger, Irritation, Complaining, and Bitterness. David, thanks for talking with me today. Question for you. I know that Psalm 103 has been especially important to you in your life. It has journeyed with you for a long time. Um, Would you say a little bit about why that particular psalm has meant so much to you? Uh, Alistair, you're asking a big question in a tiny space. So do you want to hear my life story or... uh... (laughs) Probably some shorter version thereof. Well, yeah. I would love to hear your life story, but I, let's let's go with option B. I Psalm 103 has these unique charms that you know every psalm has its unique charms. So it's Psalm 103's. I think it's probably what makes it one of the kind of top five. You know, along with Psalm 23 and Psalm 121, and you know. There's a there's a number of others, but I, I I'd say ta- Psalm 103 tends to make the head of the list for a lot of people, and uh, I think one reason is that as a brand new Christian, the passage that says, "As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him," and that powerful sense of my father loves me. Mm. My father loves me. He looks out for me. He cares for me. Uh, One of the things that was such, just from an experiential standpoint, in coming to faith in Christ was as someone who is a, you know, kind of a 60s existentialist, you know, alienation in the the existential sense, um, this profound awareness that of actually not being alone, of that there's care and not indifference at the heart of the universe, that there's life and not death. Um, it was just it was part of of just very powerful uh, and emotionally rich uh, experience of the love of God as my Father. Um, 
And then being a parent and hmm. having children of my own uh, and realizing how much I cared for them and how, you know, with a child, you a, a parent doesn't mock them for saying things that are reflect a very limited worldview. <laughs> Our children say these these funny things that reveal that they have a worldview about an inch wide and, you know, they'll grow up and they'll learn more. And you realize that between me and and my father, God, I'm like that, you know, 18-month-old that <laughs> says funny things and sees only a little bit of the world and yet is fully in the image of God and has some lovely insights and impulses and and it... God understands he's a father, as a father, has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And, you know, fear there is not afraid of. It's fear as in, he's big, I'm small, you know. And the way children are so comfortable with being small and, uh, you know, the willingness to just come and snuggle or if they feel any sense of danger to run to mommy and daddy and to... The parent's opinion and care is just so important. And, you know, part of growing up is you leave that care and protection, or what's supposed to be that. Obviously, some some parents just grievously fail and mm. wrong and wound their kids. But, um, but God doesn't fail. And so those were starting points. And then, you know, as the years go on and, and something just becomes deeply your your soul gets imbued with with a segment of scripture psalm 103 just became one of those things that imbued my soul mm. and has that happened david because it's a psalm you've particularly gone back to over and over again in in a particular kind of circumstance you know in, in anxiety or in worship or in just desire to connect with the lord or is that more just the product of as you've read through the bible and stumbled across it in other places it's it continues to sort of have a a special place, but it's not necessarily something you've gone to in particular. How is that? Yeah, no, no, no you, you, you put that nicely, and it's, it's definitely the former. It's something that I've returned to over and over again. It, Psalm 103, particularly, I, mean, I mentioned verse 13 um, right. as, a, as something which made a huge impact as a young Christian and then has, has abided. It stayed there. But uh, other parts have really come to life. Uh, uh, I, you know, actually, I should probably say a word about even the one why verse 13 made such an impact. It's because of what, what 14, uh, 15, and, and 16 say, and they capture the fragility of life. And yeah. I, yeah, I see, I came into Christian faith from such an awareness. Uh, it's the good part of existentialism, you know, such an awareness of mortality, fragility, vulnerability, uh, you know, some of the things God had used in setting up my coming to faith in Christ was being with my grandfather as he was dying and watching him fail and seeing that he had no, the despair he felt because he could find no landing place for his heart, you know. And then uh, being a passenger in a car that's that struck and killed a pedestrian one night and uh, you know, at one second that man was just walking down the street, and the next second I was looking in his eyes as we hit him at 50 miles an hour. And uh, the uh, 
So that sense brought that to life. But then probably it's the, it's the first half dozen verses that have just over and over and over again uh, been rich food for, for my life. They, they cover the whole terrain of our lives. It's, yeah. You know, you think about the first two blessings and it basically covers sin and suffering. You know? Yeah. The, you know, he forgives all your iniquity, all. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. It's this comprehensive, it's this comprehensive addressing of all the things that make life hard, all aspects of the human condition that are either we're off base or the world we live in is off in ways that are threatening and destructive. And um, it, those, it, the, the, the beauty of this psalm, like many psalms, is that it's a broad enough category that allows you to pour in whatever your life experience is, and the shoe always fits. Mm. Mm. Just for those of you who might not have a, a Bible on hand, those verses that come after the bit about the Father showing compassion say, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. And then goes on to talk about the just steadfast and everlasting nature of God's love for his children and their children. And what you're saying is helpful to me, David, especially because I am, I've always stumbled a bit over that phrase. You know, he remembers that we are dust. Uh, this whole image of, of men being like grass or the flowers of the field is, is a bit uncomfortable to me historically. I uh, just, and, and again, when it's touched on in, in First Peter, um, which is where I really encountered it more first personally, but I'm not, I'm not wild about that image. I don't like the idea of being a, a temporary wildflower. And, and so I think that's sort of a jarring thought to me. Um, but what you're saying about just encountering it in the context of facing the reality that you are fragile rather than reading it in the comfort of your, yeah. your dorm room or, you know, being a 10-year-old and having a sense of immortality or whatever it may be. But, but there's something sweet about a God who has compassion on children and especially on fragile children, children who, who indeed have a feeble frame and who are not, uh, not long-lasting. Uh, and yet, of course, you know, in parentheses or between the lines uh, or, or really in verse 17 about the everlastingness of God's love, um, God's love is not going to be an everlasting love in the sense of memorializing the flower that wilted and faded and is no more. It's a love that is so strong, it sustains us. Uh, it overcomes our fragility, uh, if you will. And that's yeah. what you're, I think, highlighting in verses uh, 3 and 4. And, you know, there there are you know critics of Christian faith that say, oh, the, no the Old Testament doesn't really talk about a hope of the resurrection and eternal life. And I just think... They have not read their Bible very closely, mm. you know, because the the old one of the great descriptions of the relationship of Old Testament and New is, you know, the New is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed, yep. and so in the Old Testament you've got this. It's like these hints and overtones and reverbs of like, okay, the wages of sin is death, and if you know the soul that sins shall die, but then there's forgiveness. And God is a God of life. And it can't come out and say, by the way, there is a resurrection because every human being that had ever lived just died, you know, and then he died. Right. And then he died. And then she died. 
And so it's really only in the New Testament that the, the fulfillment of that, just that continual hint and overtone of, if he really forgives sin, then we'll live. We won't die. Mm-hmm. If, if, if we're not going to be like a, a piece of, you know, a cactus in the desert that, that just dries up, but we're actually planted by streams of living water, huh. then we flourish, then we'll live. It, uh, so that, yeah, that's, uh, that's, it's very rich that we're, we are fragile. Everybody knows that. You just look at, at the obituary page. But then there's this promise of life. Yeah, I've never quite thought of it in that way before. But what you're saying essentially is, if I'm hearing you rightly, that eternal life is ultimately a necessary corollary of forgiveness. Forgiven sins, yeah. the, the only possible good, just right outcome is life. Because the wages of sin is death and, and for right. God to forgive us is for him to grant us life. To make us live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see how the entire gospel and the entire Bible uh, all uh, leans in that direction. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the dealing with sin is much bigger than just, I happen to have certain guilty feelings, you know, because I lost my temper or I looked with a lustful look at someone or, you know, I kind of fumbled the ball and, and said something idiotic. Right. Uh, it's yes, it's not less than one's personal awareness of guilty feelings, but it's much bigger. It's a it's a cosmic issue at the end of the day. Yeah. David, I've heard you several times uh mention that there is one part of Psalm one oh three that you're not in love with in terms of the way it gets translated, and, and that's the second half of verse two. Uh, where it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Uh, I've heard you quibble with the word benefits. Uh, Will you say a little bit about why you uh, don't prefer yeah. that? Yeah, you know, uh, both the syntax and the word choice, uh, you know, forget not all his benefits. Like, we just don't talk that way. <laughs> and, you know, the word benefit, it what it literally means is the good things that someone does. Bene, and then, you know, you know, the, the various verbs that, that have, have F and T in them, it, uh, uh, like factor and such, that uh, factory. And so it's, I, I like to just re- retranslate in my own mind, don't forget all the good things that he does. And then it, it lists them, you know, and it's not benefits like, uh, you know, your benefit package on your, on your paycheck and whether you have a retirement and health insurance. Mm-hmm. It's these are these really good things that are at the core of God's doing. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, uh, I have a little translation quibble there where I think, you know, the, the syntax at the time when the background text for, for this was done, which is the King James or probably Tyndale before that, uh, that was a perfectly understandable way to put it. But I just think we can put it more straightforwardly. Mm. Yeah. I've got some other translation quibbles or... or not quibble so much as like it just helps it pop for me. Uh, I always think, you know, wrestling to bring scripture into contact with life lived is always never not helpful. It's always helpful. Mm. Uh, a couple other things in here that have really helped it pop uh, for me. Uh, one is the 
where it where it says he uh, pardon me I'm getting my glasses here uh, he he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and uh, that's a you know that's a perfectly acceptable translation uh, the word for crowns is, is also, it's literally the word for surrounds. And you can see what, you know, a crown surrounds your head. Yep. So you can see why that applies. But there's something very rich about surrounds, mm. which I think makes sense in the context. And the fact that the second, you know, it's steadfast love, and then mercy is actually plural in the original, in the Hebrew. Mm. It's mercies. And what I think is very provocative about that is, Mercy can seem like a more, you know, if it's just a singular, it's like, well, mercy, like he forgives your sins, right. or that person is merciful. It's like an attribute of their character. But mercies, as a plural, is all these good things that he does. Hmm. Uh, I like that. Uh, and then there's another interesting one uh, that in the next, in the next line, it, 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 it translates it, who satisfies you with good so your youth is renewed like the eagle. And you'll notice in every single line in verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, uh, and this is Claire's, clear in the, in the Hebrew, but it comes out pretty well in the English. There's always three elements in every line. Uh, so it's forgive all iniquity, heal all diseases, and so forth. But you notice in the first line in verse 5, there's only two things, satisfies good. There's a word that's left out by the translators, and I, I think I understand why they, they, they kind of wobble a little with how this could fit as an idea. But literally in the Hebrew, it's who satisfies you with good as your adornment. Huh. So satisfies good and adornment. And you can see how that as a thought unit, that could be a little bit... Awkward. Um, or what does that mean, really? But I actually think that... It makes perfect sense in Psalm 3, and doesn't need to be dropped out, that if God's goodness to us is what makes, is what adorns our lives, it's what makes our lives beautiful, it's what makes us beautiful, it's what just makes our lives sparkle, he satisfies you with good as your adornment. I like that, and uh, I, I do think that it, it uh, makes that verse pop, and it's certainly there in the Hebrew that uh, there are three words there that w uh, we ought to make some stab at, at bringing into the, into the translation. So mm. I may well get Hebrew scholars like jumping all over <laughs> me uh, for that. But, uh, may we be so fortunate uh, as to have Hebrew scholars listening to this podcast. If, you are, if you're listening, please send us an email and help us uh, take this further. <laughs> Tell me why I'm wrong. And, but, uh, but it has done my soul good to, to make that connection. Mm. Yeah. A, no, I, yeah, I see it, and, and it's helpful to me along... I, I'm I'm seeing verses three and and four and five. This uh, the language of surrounding, of adorning, or, or sort of clothing over um, this all your iniquity, all your diseases. Um, there's something very, very comprehensive, very all encompassing. Something that just floods over. The psalmist is trying to find as many ways as he can to just say this this good. These good things he does, these mercies, uh, this steadfast love, this healing, this redemption, it is going to absolutely wash over every aspect of you. 
And uh, yeah, that's deeply you're encouraging. You're not going to be a flower that's yeah. that dies in the desert after one yeah. day. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, one other thing, Alistair, I think that has just added resonance. Uh, if I had to pick my like favorite New Testament book, it would be Ephesians. In terms of Ephesians is like the Himalayas. It's the <laughs> biggest mountain range on the earth. It's just got it all. And Psalm 103 is actually it, all of the major themes in the first chapter of Ephesians are here in Psalm 103. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, about sonship and being adopted as God's children and the way and the way he deals with sin and deals with death and the nature of steadfast love and mercy, um, God's goodness. It now in, in in Ephesians, you might say it's all been lifted a whole, you know, ten thousand feet higher because we now know how He did all this. He did it in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these just lovely, sweet promises of the good that God does. Mm. Um, but I, you know, sometimes Ephesians is so high and exalted, it just does your soul good to sort of climb back into Psalm 103 and realize, yeah, this is, this is how it tracks into daily human experience and into the hard things that we struggle with. Hmm. Well, I guess now we all just have to go read Ephesians. So, David, thank you so much for coming in and for sharing this little piece of your life story. Uh, and how God has been weaving scripture into it. I appreciate the time. It's a pleasure, Alistair. Blessings. If you're looking for more information and resources, like the conversation you just heard, you should check out a blog called Abba Father, The Cry of God's Children by Winston Smith. He takes a little passage, Romans 8, and he focuses on how we can speak to God in the face specifically of loss and disappointment. For this resource and many others, check us out at ccef.org.